0: again, if you would, to Psalm 19. Um, this is our third week in our new series, a series entitled The Theology of the Hearer. And uh, the point of this series is simply this, is we want to take a look at what the Bible says as a whole concerning hearing the Word of God, and more specifically on hearing the Word of God when it's proclaimed, when it's preached. What does the Bible say is our responsibility as hearers of the Word when we hear it proclaimed uh, in a preaching event such as this? Uh, do we have any responsibilities? Should we be preparing for it? How should we view it? And so we've started that study a couple of weeks ago. And my desire is to give you a different theological truth each week uh, that I've named or termed um, hearing aids, hearing aids. And these are to be aids that will help us to become better listeners of God's Word when it's being proclaimed. And so we saw a couple weeks ago that the first theological truth, the first hearing aid, was that God speaks. And we looked at Hebrews chapter 1, and there it says that uh, long, uh, long, long ago and in many times and in many ways God spoke. And so he had used different means like prophets and, and angels to be able to speak forth his word. And we saw that he spoke most clearly and most completely and revealed himself who he was in the most accurate way through his son, through the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the very end of that message, I said, the good news is God has spoken, but the great news is he continues to speak, amen, and primarily through his what, church, through his written word. Now, the next week, we talked about, uh, we, we looked at our second hearing aid, hearing aid number two, and that was that God speaks through preaching. And what I mean by that is when a man of God proclaims and heralds the text, that is God's stuff stuff that has been revealed in this word, and he gets it right. He gets it right. He, he understands what the word means in context. He preaches it as God wants it to be preached. When he preaches and he proclaims, God indeed is speaking. And so how we respond, how you and I respond to biblical preaching, ultimately depends on how we are responding to God to not listen to the preaching of the Word of God, to come in kind of haphazardly into the preaching of the Word of God, not really listening, is to not really be listening to God's Word, okay? Do you see how that's a serious issue? And so when God commands something through the accurate preaching of the Word of God, it is just as binding as if God were to speak to you audibly, okay? So we want to be able to understand that preaching is God speaking when it's done correctly. Well, the third hearing aid is what we're looking at today. And that is this, that God speaks to transform the role of his word. God speaks to transform the role of his word. Why is it that God has chosen to speak to us? Well, as the point suggests to change you and I, now let me ask you a question. Is there anybody here that is in dire need of transformation? Anybody? Does anybody need to be changed? Three fourths of you did not raise your hand. Um, I'm not preaching to you anymore. Um, We are in grave need of transformation. Why? Because when Adam and Eve fell, we all fell with them. When Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation and all of mankind and everybody who would be born, apart from the person of Jesus Christ, would be born underneath sin. That means that all of us were born with a sin nature. And even though we were created in the image of God, in the image of God, that there were certain aspects of us that were like our creator God, that took a huge blow and a blow and that art, that that image was seriously marred by sin So what God wants to do now, and it's really the story of the whole word from Genesis to Revelation, it's a story of how God now is going to transform us back into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to get back to how it was in the garden with that type of fellowship with us. And in order for that to occur, there's a whole lot of transformation that's going to have to occur in our minds, in our heart, in our thinking, in in all of us, okay? We're going to have to be transform. And God does that through his word. Now this morning, we're going to look at the role of the word of God here in Psalm chapter 19. In Psalm chapter 19, uh, let me just kind of give you a background. It's David who is writing this. If you don't know who wrote it, just guess David. You got a good chance if it's a Psalm, but that's who wrote it. And David wrote this particular Psalm and in it, he's writing the whole thing primarily about the word of God. And in verses one through six, he writes, What's concerning what is known in theology as general revelation. All that is is a terminology that expresses what we can know of God, general truths of what we can know about God by looking at nature around us, by looking at the creation of the hills and the woods and the ocean and all these things. There are certain things that anybody, the Bible says, can learn about God. One, they can learn that he exists, right? Uh, Because there is a creation there, therefore, is a creator, right? we can look at it and understand that God is powerful, that God is mighty, that God is true, that he is good, uh, that he is wonderful. All those things, just general truths about God. But if we're going to know the specifics about God, it's going to require God speaking to us. It's going to call what what calls for special revelation, which is what we have right here, which is the written word of God. If we're going to know how to have a right relationship with him, if we're going to know that we need a right relationship with him and how to continue that right relationship, he's going to have to reveal it to us through his revelation, through his word of God. So this is God's special revelation to us. And he uses it once again, not to keep repeating myself, to transform you and I into the likeness of his son. He loves his son so much and he takes so much joy in looking at his son that he sent that son to die so that. The rest of us could just look just like him. Isn't that an awesome thing? To, so all of us can look just like him. That's how much joy he, t- he takes in looking upon the sun. So he wants to restore that image in us. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this particular psalm. Let me give you a little layout of it very quickly. What he does here is in three, these three verses, he gives us six different names of the word of God. They're all synonymous. They all mean the Bible, referring to the Bible. In, in, in verse 7, he calls it the law, and testimony. Verse eight, he calls it precepts and commandments. In verse nine, he calls it fear and rules. So all those are just names describing the word of God. Then he's going to give us six characteristics of the word of God. And that those are found at the end of each first sentence. It says that they are perfect, that they are sure that they are right, that they are pure, they are clean, and they are true. And then what he's going to do is he's going to let us know what effect the word of God has on our life. In other words, how it changes us. And so there they're listed uh, at the end of each sentence. They revive the soul. They make wise the simple. They rejoice the heart. They enlighten the eyes. They endure forever forever. And they are righteous altogether. So that's how he lays this thing out. So what I want to do is with the little bit of time we have, I just want to work through these. All right. Work through these very quickly and see six different ways in which the word of God has the power to transform you and I. First of all, we're going to see that the word of God transforms the soul. Notice, if you will, in verse seven. Remember, that's what we said, how you has a good indication of the word of God's being preached if you get whiplash, right? So when he says, look at verse seven, that means look at what the word of God says. OK, so verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. When he says the law, he's referring to the law of man. It's our law that he's given for us, for us to be able to have a right relationship with him. And when he uses the word perfect, he's not speaking of perfect as opposed to imperfect. Instead, what he's speaking about is being complete. The word literally means to have all the required elements to be absolutely and fully complete, which means that the word of God in which he's entrusted us is done. It's completed. Uh, the, the, the author of Jude says that it was delivered for us once and for all to the saints. In other words, there's nothing lacking in it. It's not like version or part do is going to come out later. Okay. Um, this is good because if you have a little Mormon guy come to your, to your door, praise, you know, I don't want to say praise God for them. That was the wrong terminology, but if they come to your door and say, Hey, listen, we have part two. We have part two. Uh, we have the other testament of Jesus Christ. You just turn here and say, thank you. It's completed. We've got the whole thing. We enjoy the one that we have. And so everything is there, not for what you might want to know, but for your God wants you to know specifically of everything there is to know concerning life That is eternal life and godliness that is growing in likeness of God, the process of sanctification. Everything is there, and I cannot tell you how wonderful news this is. Because just about everything we have today needs some kind of updating. Yes? Right? Okay. Um, For example, I hate computers. hate them. My brother-in-law who for a living, he works with computers. I don't understand it. He's very good at it, but I hate them. I love what they can do, but the reason they frustrate me is because I don't, I'm, I'm compu- completely computer illiterate. Okay. And I mean, completely, uh, am I not? Yes, I am. And uh, so what will happen is this, is I love getting a new computer, don't you? I love it because everything seems to work so well. Everything is right the way that it should be. You get it, they get you set up, you begin working on it. Everything is wonderful. It prints when you want to print, you know, no problems, no viruses, all these things. But in a very short period of time, what happens? Things begin to fall apart. There's a virus on there. You can't download what you want to download. You can't see what you want to see. You can't hear what you want to hear. And so what happens is I get somebody like, like my brother-in-law or somebody like Dan and they come into me and they go, Mike, when was the last time you, you, you updated this stuff? When was the last time you updated, uh, you know, Explorer? When is the last time Mozilla or whatever that thing is called Godzilla? Uh, when is the last time that you, that, that you updated, you know, your, your, your Adobe? I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, when's the last time you, so they give all you know, your I, you can't listen. What, what about your iTunes? You're like on, on point oh three, and we're on like point or you know, it's on, you know, one You've, missed all these what's no wonder it's not working well and then he's even told me that that recently somebody gave him some some pc or not pc some 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 macs like that means something to me hey man somebody gave us some macs you know the mac daddies right and he's like but they're so old that they don't have the power to really be able to run the new software and i'm like so now they're doing software and now you have to change the computer so you don't even have to change the software you have to change the hardware you like that the hardware yeah, and so, so you've got to change all this out. Are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, you've got to constantly be updating this stuff. And the beauty about the word of God is God just says, hey, man, I'm just going to give you all to you right here, right now. So you don't have to have the second version come out or anything else. Yes, it's being translated into all different types of languages, but the content of it is completely and utterly sufficient. And look what he says here. It's perfect, and notice by it being perfect what it does. It revives the soul. Now, I don't even know, I haven't even looked at the Hebrew yet of what that means, but all of a sudden that sounded really good to me. Does anybody need some soul reviving, right? And he says it revives the soul. The word revive literally means to restore and to regain life. What is regaining life? The soul. Is the soul in need of regaining life? Yes. Why? Because we might physically be alive, but before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, because we have sinned, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. That means who we are in the inside, our spirit, our soul is spiritually dead unto God. And so it needs to be revived, but there's no way to revive it apart from what? From the word of God. The word of God literally gives life to a dead soul. Do you see why we're saying forget preaching the good stuff? Let's preach God's stuff because it can literally bring a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins, who is doomed and damned to hell. When it is preached, it literally can bring life to that person. You say, how does it do that? Well, the word of God in Ephesians 2, 8 tells us what? That we are saved. Follow me, church. We are saved by by grace through what faith, right? Well, how do you come to faith? By looking at a tree, by hugging the tree, by buying Birkenstocks, right? How do you come to faith in Jesus Christ? How do you do it through his word? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. It says that faith comes by what church hearing and hearing by the what? By the word of God. So we come to faith. There's no way to come to faith of Jesus Christ. This is important because you're praying for your aunt and your uncle and you're sitting there going, God, save them. And you know what God's saying? Let them, they're only going to get saved. They're only going to come to faith if you will say, speak, proclaim, preach the word of God to them. Do you got that? It's the only way for them to come. Uh, Paul will say later in Romans chapter 10 in verse 17, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming the word of God to them? So the word of God brings life, new life. But you know what else it brings? It even brings life to some, some believers who are alive, but man, in some ways they're just barely alive. Have you ever gotten to the point where you're just sitting there and going, man, I don't know what's wrong with my soul. The Bible says that the word of God is like fresh nourishment to the soul. And what I would tell you today, man, you're struggling, you're down, man, you're downtrodden. you You feel dry in your spiritual life. The Bible says that you could be renewed and refreshed just through this, just through the reading of the word. Jesus Christ said himself, man shall not live by bread alone, but except for every word that proceeds out of what? The mouth of God. He says, that's how you live. That's where true life is, as in you and I. So the power of God, uh, the word of God has the power to transform our very soul. That's huge. That's huge. Secondly, the word transform transforms our minds. Now, David says here, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Now the word testimony there uh, literally means that God's own self-disclosure. Now that's very important. Because many people believe that this book is like all other religious books. It's about a bunch of men that came together and begin to write down their thoughts of God. But that's not what God says this book is. God used men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But it was God writing a book about himself. It was God saying, I'm going to disclose who I am, what I am like, and what I require to my people. It's going to be my book written by me for my people. Isn't that an amazing idea? And he says that it's God disclosing himself. And here's the great thing. The contents of the word of God are sure. Are sure. It means to be completely confident that something is right. Now, folks... There's very little that you and I today in the world in which we live can be absolutely confident are true. Would you agree? I, I, I want to challenge you to go to your lo- local library if you know where that is. Go to the local library. Right? Someone's like, I don't even know. Do we have a library? Anyway, and go to the library, and I, I, I charge you to find a book in there apart from the word of God that every single truth claim is right. I guarantee that in every single book, there is false. false there, there's something that is false that is written within. Do you remember growing up in our science books? How many of you grew up believing there were three states of matter? Anybody? Yeah. Thank you, Billy. Right. Thank you. Right. You're like I never learned that. Right. Too much time. Right. Right. There is. There is solid. There is gas, and then there is. Uh, liquid, right? Okay, I couldn't remember. Uh, There are three states of matter. And so now when you read it, and I learned the other day, they said, how many states of matter? Like three, I know this. And they're like, no, there's four plasmas, the new state. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't remember plasma as state. I remember Florida, Georgia. No, no, new state of matter, right? And so we we constantly they're they're changing all of these things all of these truths that we thought uh, while we were we were growing up. I remember remember the science co- project that you did with all the little planets. Remember the little foam balls you went to Marshalls or wherever it was and you, you got Michaels and you got the little stones and they were all rotating around and you thought you were cool until you showed up and all 30 other kids did the same exact science experiment, right? And when I was growing up there were 9 planets. There's 8 planets now. You see what we're saying? Now, now you some of you are saying they're going, I don't remember school. Well then hopefully you'll remember this. You, let me give you another. I could tell I'm not connecting. Billy Ray, you and I are the only ones that are connecting on this. Do you remember when you were trying to lose weight? Do you remember when they sat there and somebody came out with this great idea? Listen, it's really the fat that makes you fat. Eat all the carbs you want. Right? Do you remember that? Uh, you eat nah, you guys understand that's not what you want to do now, right? I mean, eat all the carbs. So it comes out with like sweating to the oldies. And these people are stuffing their face on pizza. They're carving themselves up and they're sitting there and they're basically like, hey, man, I can't lose weight. Why? Because of those, you guys remember those changes of the diets, right? Is it fat? Is it this? Is it whatever? So the point is there's almost nothing because even what science is saying is it's constantly shifting and changing it and things that we know that are absolutely true, we find out later are not, but the word of God, how encouraging it is to know in a world of uncertainties that we have the word of God that never changes and is fully and completely true. And notice the outcome of it it makes wise the simple. I don't know about you, but I'm simple. My wife might think I'm complex, but really, mentally, I'm very simple. Any simple people out there? The word of God. some some don't know. Yeah, um, that's ultra simple. Uh, here, simple, inexperienced, uninstructed, uneducated, and naive persons. What the Bible literally says, the Hebrew word literally means to be an open door. In other words, a naive person is a person that doesn't know what to shut out and what to keep in. Just whatever just piles in there, whatever just takes it out. But you know what I think is interesting with this? Is the world in which we live today, they say just the opposite of the world. They say when you're intellectual, when you understand things, then you're open-minded. See the difference? You're open-minded. Who says and whoever thought up the fact that one man should be married to one woman? Or one woman to one man. That is so close-minded. You need to open your mind. What the Bible says is open your own mind and be an idiot. Open your mind. He says, what you need to do is you need to know when to close your mind, keep stuff in, and to ultimately be able to keep it out. That's why some of the most intelligent people I know are the biggest idiots I know. And I say that in love. I know that's hard to say in love, but there are people that I know that are off the charts intellectually, have more degrees than their thermometer. I mean, they are incredibly intellectual and they make the worst decisions in their life. They can't. They have no clue how to keep a marriage together. They have no clue how to raise children. They have no clue, and you're sitting there and they're claiming to be so smart, but really wisdom, which is described here, which means a wise way in which to live, how to live your life. Guess what? You don't have to have all the book smarts. All you need is this book smart. The word of God leads us and guides us. The difference between those who are shipwrecked and those who are don't is this, is that the world lives according to the shifting and changing wisdom of the world. The believer has access to truth that will never change and he can always count on. So even if we don't have a great amount of education in the world's concept... God can change our minds and become unbelievably wise according to how to live this life simply through the word of God. It transforms our minds. But notice also it transforms the heart. And in verse 3, it says in verse 8, David writes, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts there in the word of God, look down there, the precepts there actually means principles or doctrines that are clearly taught in the word of God. The precepts or principles are the words are right. Right doesn't here mean the opposite of wrong. Instead, it speaks about the right direction. Do any of you guys need to know the direction that you should go in your life? Anybody seeking right now somewhere in their life direction of where to go and how to follow God and what the right thing to do is? The Bible says the word of God shows you the direction to go. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Unless, in other words, it illuminates the way. It lets you know whether to go right, whether to go left. Doesn't this sound a lot like the beginning of Joshua when he says to know my word, don't turn from the left, don't turn from the right. Do you remember that? He says the word of God tells you in which direction to go. And notice this, here's the outcome of it. The outcome is rejoicing the heart. He says, the outcome of God's word and knowing what direction to go is joy, is joy. Now, the reason that's so important is because the devil has the same lie. He's never changed his lie. Do you understand? It's always been the same. From the beginning of Adam and Eve in the garden to what God, what Satan is tempting you to do right now, and to sin against God is the same thing. Here it is. He says... That there is happiness and joy outside of the will of God. If you will go outside of God's will, outside of God's commands, there's something out there that God has for you, that God is keeping from you that will bring you joy. Is that not the ultimate temptation? We see it with Adam and Eve. Remember, God sits there and says, "Hey, I want to commune with you. We're going to fellowship together. This is what I have for you, but here's the rule, here's the law." He says, "Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day in which you do, you will surely what have joy? You will die." And so the devil comes up and he says, well, surely you will not die. God says that because he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to have something. He doesn't want you to be like him. Right? And so what do they do? They fall to the temptation. They go outside of the will of God. They sin. And do they do the next part? Do we find them happy? No, we find them riddled with a guilt, a guilty conscience. They are hiding themselves. They are running from God. They are humiliated. And that is the picture of what sin is. And so what the Bible says is, here's the beautiful thing about the word of God. He says he's going to show you the way that you can live without having to live with regret, humiliation, and guilt. He's going to show you that way very clearly. And James tells us that that's the purpose of the word. And James one twenty five. listen very carefully. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. What? He's going to have joy. Going to have real joy. In First John chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, We are writing these things so that your joy may be full or complete. God says, true joy comes from knowing God's word, being directed in the right way to go. Now, why is that important? Well, anybody want joy? I want joy. And, and here, here's the key. Your life and my life, we know this. Just by being alive, there's enough suffering and difficulty in life as it comes, isn't it? Stuff that you never asked for, difficulties that maybe you didn't specifically bring upon yourself. And there is enough of those things in my life that the last thing I need to do is to go down a wrong path and bring on guilt and shame and difficulty in my own life when all the time I never had to go down that route. And the word of God says it's plainly within his word of God. It transforms the heart. It can take a heart that is doomed for for guilt and shame, transform it by getting it and showing it what direction to go, and to lead it with all joy. I don't know about you, but I want joy. That comes from the word of God. Then we see here, fourth, the word transforms our perception. The word transforms our perception. And notice what the word says. In the word of God, it says the commandments of the Lord are pure and lightening the eyes. Now, I want to draw your attention just to the word commands. Okay, commandments. Mark it, underline it, do whatever. Notice it doesn't say suggestions. You say, well, big deal. That's a big deal. It doesn't say, here are some suggestions for your life, the suggestions of God. It says the commands of God, which is binding, which includes the ones you and I in our flesh don't like. It doesn't mean that the commands are the only ones that you and I don't struggle with. Isn't that amazing how we do that? We love to be able to speak out the commands. That's why fuddy-duddy uh, old Baptist folk love to be able to preach against uh, alcohol and cussing and, and swearing and uh, tattooing and everything because they don't have those. Okay, so they love to be able to proclaim those things, but they don't do the finer things that the word of God proclaims for them not to do. Do you understand? So they love to throw that out. But what the word of God says here, he says, these are the commands they are binding, whether you like them or not, whether you accept them as applying to you or not. They are the very commands of God and they are binding and authoritative of God. Now, notice this. These commandments of God are defined as pure. They're pure. Not in, 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 it means not to be mixed or adulterated by any other substance. Clearly put, it means that they are clear. Now, this is a very important theological truth. We live in a day, and I hear this more than anything from folks. We live in a day of the church where believers seem to be walking around in uncertainty. There seems to be where they will say, we believe that this is the word of God. We believe that this is authoritative. The problem is we can't be really clear and certain about what it's actually saying. So we can't be really sure about doctrine. We shouldn't argue about doctrine. We shouldn't argue about the different truths in the word because it's just too hard. Folks, that is contrary to what the word of God states about itself. Don't you think that God is smart enough to write a book? We're talking about the creator of the universe to write a book that could be clear enough to give you and I accurate commands to live by. Does it not? And what it teaches me is when the Bible doesn't seem to be clear and I hear people say, well, the Bible doesn't really speak on that. It is a clear indication. Follow this in your own life. Oh, the Bible doesn't say anything about that is that you have not been in the word of God. When you are in the word of God and walking in the word of God, I can't tell you how many times people can sit back and go, man, I never knew the word said that. They don't know the word has said that because they haven't been in the word. And he says, I've done all those things. And notice what it does. It says it enlightens the eyes. Now, let me give you an example of what this means. In other words, I think what he's talking about is you begin to perceive things the way that they really are. Do you know what the difference is? Some of you guys who have grown in your Christian walk, if there's been grown in your Christian life, you know that you see things differently than you used to, right? That's what I mean by the perception changing, okay? Now, let me give you an example of this. Uh, Many of you remember a little over a year ago, my brother uh, dying, passing away from cancer, and I was going to do the funeral for him. And so when you're doing a funeral, everybody has a word they want you to share, okay? Everything they want you to cover, to say, And so I had folks, family members especially, come up and say, hey, listen, uh, make sure that you tell them about how close of a family we were. I'm like, okay. The other people who worked with him would come up and say, hey, make sure that you share with him uh, about his accomplishments here uh, at his work, okay, at the university. And I said, okay. And then other people who raced with him would come and say, hey, man, make sure that you tell him about all of his accomplishments that he accomplished as an athlete. And so by this time, you're thinking, my goodness, this is a lot of stuff. Finally, his wife, Vanessa, comes up, who's a believer in Jesus Christ, a woman of God, comes up to me. This is, okay, this is the morning widow of the brother, okay? She comes up, and I tell her, I said, man, all these people want me to say all these things about John. And she sits there and says, listen, she can read They can read all they want about John in the newspaper and in everything else. This is your one opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to all those that John had an impact in. Preach the gospel. Now, folks, for a woman who has just lost her husband for four months had to carry her husband, pick him up to get him on and off a toilet in whom her her own husband died in her arms by having his bowels explode within him. Sits there in the moment of clarity because she understands the word of God and she says, all this is temporal. All this is fleeting. All this is passing. Preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that happens to people who know the word of God, that when crises happens in their life, they don't call out. Why, God? Why are you? How, why are you allowing this to happen? You know what they call out? What, God? Or how, God? What do you want to do in my life through this difficulty? Not why are you bringing this? They under, Why? Because they understand the answer. It's all through the word of God. He's allowing those things to happen so that why we would become more like him through patience and refinement and through sanctification. We know those answers, but that is reserved for those who know the word of God. The word of God does what? It transforms our perspective. Fifth, the word transforms our attitude. Anybody need an attitude adjustment? Or any of your spouses here need an attitude? Adjust? No, don't do that. <laughs> Listen what it says, though, specifically. He's going to tell us where our attitudes need to be changed. Verse 9, he says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. What does he mean by the fear of the Lord? What he's talking about is he's talking about the outcome of what the Word of God does. It literally, remember your mama saying, Boy, I will put the fear of God in you. Do you remember that? That's before we got turned in. You know what I mean? And, uh, in, in, they were right that <laughs> you understood. Well, what the Bible does is this is because it is a book primarily about who he is, about his glory, about his magnificence, about his power, about his will. What it does is when you read the word of God, you have, it has a tendency of putting you in your place, It puts you in your place. It sits there and says, you know, it's really not all about me. It really is about him. I am but a speck. I am but an extra. I am the key grip in this great monumental movie that God is putting on. I'm glad just to be able to have a part, man. And so what he says is it shows us and it humbles our heart and notices the fear of the Lord is clean. Clean means that it's undefiled. Everything in this world has been contaminated with sin, which means that it is marked and it is continually decaying. Everything else is ultimately passing away, except for one thing. What? The Word of God. The Bible says in Matthew 5.18, it says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You know what he's saying? He's saying he's changing our attitude through the word of God, not only our attitude towards who God is. By being in it, we see how great he is. We see how humble we need to be. But we also see the difference of his word and what we come to understand. Listen, in our young people, adults, teachers, listen to this. What it teaches us is that there is no more relevant truth or relevant book than this book that we have before ourselves. Is the only thing that is unstained. I, I'm, I'm always interested when people sit there and go, the reason people are going away from the word is because they believe that this book is no wrong, no longer relevant to today. It's only not relevant if you're trying to preach good stuff, but it is completely relevant if you're trying to preach God's stuff. You say, how in the world is it relevant? Because no matter where you live, when you live, what your socioeconomic background is, what country you live in, how all of these, no matter if you have a head, this is relevant. Why? Because every single soul has the same problem that they are doomed in sin and death. And the book goes beyond all that. And the word of God teaches a person why they need Jesus, how they can be made right with God, with Jesus and how they can serve Jesus. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter who you are. It's relevant. So it changes our mind. It changes our mind or excuse me. It changes our attitude. Now, here's the last one. The word of God transforms our view. And when I speak of view, what I'm speaking of specifically is ourselves, the view of ourselves. What I have found in my own personal life, and this is good stuff here because it's what I have observed. And I have observed that I think that I'm better than what I really am. Does anybody? I think that I'm actually better looking than I am too. All right? Um, I realize that because Dan tells me all the time. Uh, I realize that that in me that I'm a better person and you guys are worse. You guys are worse than you think, but I'm better than I think. You guys with me? Oh, don't look all spiritual. You know what I'm talking about. All right. You feel the same exact way. Okay. So that's how we view the word of God. Well, what the Bible says is this. The rules of the Lord, that means the judgments of the Lord, all those that he's made throughout the word of God and he makes in the word of God are true. It means that they are spot on. God is not like you and I, where we've judged somebody wrong. I've done that time and time again. Anybody? I've made a wrong judgment. I know that I've been judged wrong. When God makes a judgment, he is spot on. That's when we look in the Old Testament in books like Joshua, and God wipes out an entire nation, and we sit there and go, God, is that right? That kind of judgment pouring out on them? Are you kidding me? And God sits there and says, my judgment was spot on. It was correct. But it's not only for them, it's also for us. Because what he's saying there is this. He says, they're righteous altogether Not only the ones that he's made, but the ones that he makes on us. When you and I, when the word of God is being preached in the pre... Listen, it's interesting to me how people come, will come up and they'll say, and they'll send an email or something and go, did my wife talk to you? How did you know that I was guilty of this? I don't know. Well, I do. I'm guilty of it. So, you know, you might as well be too, right? But the reason is because when the word of God is proclaimed and the righteousness of God and the rightness and the commandments of God are that, you know what? Our conscience within us and the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about, right, judges us. It's not the preacher that's judging you. You are judged already. It's God judging you and me. And when you and I are overwhelmed with guilt and the need and the feeling, God, I need to repent, that judgment is right. It's right. It doesn't need to be explained away. People don't need to come. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm always amazed by people who are broken by their sin, and all the Christians that come up and go, "There, there. It's not that bad. You're good. Don't worry." No, let them let God's word do its thing, man. Now, when they seek forgiveness, come around them and go, "Man, you've been restored. You've been restored through the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ." Let's rejoice. Let's not look back. Let's look forward. That's the that's the goodness of God. Yes. And so he sits there and he says that they are righteous all together. Listen to the power of the word. This is how he works in your life and mine. When the word is preached, okay, this is why not not not, not, not good stuff, but God's stuff. When the word of God is being preached accurately, Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active. I don't know any man's words that are living and active, do you? He says, they are sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intents of the hearts. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are marked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So what it does is when the word of God is preached, when we first walk in and we think everything's good, man. I don't have a care in the world. There's no sin in me. The word of God is brought out. God takes the word of God and is sharper than two edged sword. And it cuts between all that stuff. And it exposes afresh where you and I have gone off and where we need to repent and get right before the Lord Jesus Christ. You got that? That's what the word of God does for us. That's how it transforms. So listen to this. Get this. The word of God that he has given you. This book, this book alone is the only way for your soul to be made alive. It's the only one. This is it. This is all we have. Why would I preach anything else? You got it? Why would you want to hear anything else? It conforms our mind, it changes our mind, it changes our hearts. It changes our mind in the way that we're able to what? To do to do the things of God, to be able to be wise, to know what to do. It's all here. To have the right heart, which means that God can change our heart by directing us in the right way. It gives us a heart to ultimately do what? To be able to have joy in our heart again. Only this book can do it. This is the perception. Only the word of God can truly see you reality as it actually is. And you know what that does? That gives you hope, does it not? The people that have no hope don't see the perception. They don't see the big picture. But when you get into the word of God, you sit there and go, life isn't all about this and about that and about that. It's about him. And all of a sudden you have hope in your heart once again. Finally, about attitude, adjusting our attitude. When we sit there and we see God and we think we're greater than him, we think it's about you get into a word, it humbles us once again. But the beauty of that is that's the place where God extends his grace. God says he rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Get in the word of God. He extends extends his grace. And then finally, the view, a view of ourselves once again. And so notice this. Notice this. I, I, I want to finish this up. No wonder he says at the end of this verse 10, with all that in mind, the author says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. What he's doing is he's talking about here, and he says that our word is our greatest possession. You tell me what car, what house, what 401k, what flat-screen TV can do these things for you. None of it. He says, so they're more precious than gold, even much fine gold. He's speaking of his heart, of how he views the word. How does your heart and your view of the word match up with that? And then notice this, what he says. It's not only his greatest possession, it's also his greatest pleasure his greatest uh, pleasure as well. Notice this. He says, sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. David is walking around. He, he doesn't have a convenience store nearby. So as he's walking around, he sees this great big beehive and coming out of it is all of this honey. I'm not sure how he gets it, but he takes it and he goes, man, that is good stuff. It just doesn't get any better than that. It's like you and I with Krispy Kreme donuts. You drive by you, he see hot donuts now, hot donuts now, and you say it just doesn't get any sweeter than that. And the Bible says that's his view of the word. God's spoken, written word. He goes, it's not, there's nothing more sweet than this. There's nothing that can satisfy me more than the word of God because none of it could give me life to my soul. None of it could transform my mind, my heart, my perception, my attitude, and my view. And he says here, he says, is also his greatest protector. He says, verse 11, moreover, by them is your servant warned. Listen, the reason that so many people are making the wrong decisions is simply because they're not in the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. It will warn you from turning off the wrong path in your life. That's why, parents, we begin to pour the Word of God into our children. Why? You don't want your children to make the same mistakes? Man, get the Word of God into them. Get the Word into them. Then then the Word of God says it's also our greatest greatest, uh, provider. He says, in keeping them, there is great reward. How many Christians I know right now? How many more rewards God has for you and I if we would just know what God's word said, do what God's word said, and how God would pour out those rewards on your life. That's not Mike speaking. That's not prosperity gospel speaking. That's the word of God telling you that. There are gifts and rewards and joys that he wants to give you that it's just not ours because we don't know. It's all found in the word of God. And finally, this In the word of God, it is also our greatest purifier. In verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? No one. No one. I don't know when I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. Unless what, church? Unless I know according to the word of God. You with me? He says, that's how we know. Declare me innocent from hidden sin. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Can't be blameless and innocent unless you know what the word of God is saying. Then finally, he says in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The only way for the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in God's sight is according to knowing and applying the truth of the word of God. Here's the final application. Here it is. Final application. First, if the word does all that this, all of this, then why would a preacher preach anything else? We said last week that there's preachers all over the place preaching good stuff but not God's stuff. Why would they preach anything else when only the word of God preached can literally save people from hell? Why? But here's a second question, just as, just as important. If the word does all of this, then why would you desire anything other than the word? Why do you and I desire so much the E! True Hollywood story? Why do you and I desire so much about what the PhD guys say? Why are you and I so worried about what that magazine says and filling our mind with all of those things when none of those things can have the same impact and transformation than the Word of God? Final point. The only way to truly be transformed is through the power of the Word of God. I'm just going to say it again. The only way, I I don't know how to get this across anymore. That's why I chose this passage. The only way to truly be transformed is through the power of the word of God, period. No word of God coming in. No transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It needs to be poured in. It needs to be studied. It needs to be meditated on. David says himself, he says, thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against Thee." We've got to be saturated. My desire today and my prayer for you in starting this was this. God, help us a Celebration Baptist Church to have a conviction of the word. Did you, you, know, did you, did you notice, just very quickly, did you notice how he worded here? He didn't sit there and say, hey guys, read the word. I'm going to read the word because it's a part of my spiritual disciplines. I gotta discipline myself to get in the word. He sits there and says. He says, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey than the than the drippings of the honeycomb. That's what I pray God would give you and me a heart of this morning is this sitting there going, There's nothing more valuable than that. There's nothing sweeter than the word of God. Then you and I will be transformed in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. God is speaking. Are you listening? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that our our church was able to walk through word by word, sentence by sentence, just looking at your word, seeing what you say, seeing how it applies. And God, I believe that you're transforming right now by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit with the word preached. That you're changing lives. That you want to change lives right now. People will simply be open to it. God, I pray at this invitation. Of course, as always, those who are lost, those who are do not know you, those who know that if they were to die, that they would not uh, be made right unto you and have a right relationship with you for all eternity. God, I would love to talk with them, love to share with them what the gospel is, what it says, how their relationship could be right with you. But God, there are many others right now that right now is decision time. They have to determine right now in their minds, are they going to become people of the book? Seeing all the transformations that they do, and they will sit there, God. I know that they're saying, God, I need a transformed soul, I need a transformed mind, I need a transformed heart, I need a transformed uh, perspective. But, God, it only comes through your word. God, would you help us to love your word? Maybe there are people here that that's going to be their prayer, God. Let me believe, let me feel, let me sense, let me know that it's more precious than anything else, it's sweeter than anything else. God, would you grant that to us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.